Clinically podcast. I'm joined by Rachel once again. Hello, Rachel. Hello. Thanks for having me. You're the only person that was gonna show up. <laughs> oh my god! How rude! <laughs> I had a whole queue rude. of people, and I chose you. Yeah, thank you. God, mm. not second best. Never, never. Um, it's been a while. It's been. I actually went back and looked. It was the first of September when we last podded, recorded, podded. And quite a bit's happened since then. We've had Plue, Seamark, we've had Romandy, and now it's kind of over. Yeah. The season's done. There's the European champs, like, now, basically, and then that is really it after that. There's, like, nothing else. Unless you're going to do the gravel world champs, anyone. Not for me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'll cover it in the newsletter. Yeah. But I don't think I'll be watching it and dissect. I remember like seeing bits of it last year and it's just not that exciting to watch, really. Absolutely not. As a spectator, like sport, gravel is really, really boring. I am interested to see like who does it though. Because I saw Castillo was riding the new Canyon gravel bike on her Instagram. So I'm like, is she planning on doing mm. it? Um, I think also, to, yeah, like Lorena Weebus raced gravel earlier this year. Vollering races gravel. Like, are they going to do it? Because then that's quite interesting if they do. Yeah, Vollering's been doing a bit more gravel as well, hasn't she? Mm. I think, um, I feel like quite a few have been like riding gravel, but I just don't know how many will actually turn up to that. Because... It's quite, I don't know, I was going to say it's quite late, but it's obviously not. It's just that it feels like it's ages since road racing's kind of, I don't know. I don't know. I feel like yeah. once you finish European, you'd just be like, right, time for a piss up. <laughs> yeah, this is true. Like if you've had, su- they've all had such busy seasons. So I'm not sure if they'll be bothered to go if you're not you're not like they're not paid to be gravel riders are they they're like they do enough road so maybe they'll just be like nah don't want to do it yeah be um, interesting but, though yeah um to look at the result at the end <laughs> that will literally be <laughs> i don't even know if it'll be if we'll have like live streaming anyway it did but, last year didn't it did it uh, i don't I know so. I, was there. I was there in person so mm. actually um but yeah, I, I don't know because it's not like laps. Like like I think it's like one massive. Either they're very big laps, or it's like mostly point to point, and then a couple of laps at the end. But by that time, they're basically all in like ones and twos anyway. So it's kind of a bit boring. Um, if thing with it. If Sorry. if if they could like cover it properly with like, but I think it's quite hard because like it gravel paths and like motorbikes, and then a lot of them are over like covered by trees so like helicopter shots are a bit difficult so logistically I don't think it's very easy for them to cover it no I do think it's something that's going to take off more in the next few years though oh definitely like the brand like I think it's a lot of it's coming from bike brands as well they're like dead keen for gravel to become really big so 
if they want to sell more gravel bikes then they they'll probably start saying to their riders like to the world tour teams oh can you have like one gravel rider on your team a bit like I don't know like Tiff Cromwell's like Canyon Tram's kind of gravel rider like it becomes a bit of a it might become a bit more of a thing I think to have like a gravel person as part of your squad just because like the brands will want it yeah yeah for sure I feel like that already happens with quite a few teams on the men's side as well yeah that was really not a hot take from me as well like oh it's gonna gravel's gonna get more popular guys I think it's actually a really growing area of sport (laughs) yeah well done (laughs) I don't think anyone realized that yeah no yeah sort of super quiet check back for more forecasting next re- next time anyway we said we weren't really going to talk about gravel or that gravel wasn't really a thing and then we just talked about it for like five minutes but back to road <laughs> um where did we left leave off plue was the next race did you watch plue did you enjoy plue yeah i watched it god that was so enthusiastic yeah, yeah. No, I watched it and um I liked it I like that race you know it's actually really good to watch it's a good course it's quite fun explosive a lot of climbs um a lot of road furniture as well which is what um mm. I think Misha Bredewald who ended up winning said that after the race she was like it was really scary and there was a lot of road furniture uncovered um oh. so she said that yeah that's not great but I think also, I think it was probably made worse. Because I was thinking, like, when was the last time Pluto was won in, like, a reduced bunch sprint like that? I swear normally you always comes in in, like, one, a, a, a lone rider or, like, two or three riders. Um, So maybe that, like, made it worse and, like, people noticed all that road furniture a bit more because they were in quite a big group. I actually went and looked at this the other day because I was writing something about it. And because uh, I was thinking the same, like, oh, it doesn't usually come down to a sprint and it, I think it was 2018 was the last time it was won by any like significant sized group so yeah which because it is that kind of course as well and I don't know if that speaks to like the level of the peloton now that a course like that doesn't break it up quite as much I mean it's also the fact that there was a breakaway for a lot of it as well yeah but... yeah yeah I don't know like from what when I was watching it like it seemed like SD Works were like doing a lot of work to control the brake and like bring the moves back and stuff. But then because of that, they didn't really have like the rider to do one of the usual attacks. Like um, Marlon Russo would probably have been like the choice of the person to try and go solo or whatever. But she kind of had ended up having to do loads of chasing because a lot of teams actually called SD Works' bluff quite well, I thought, in this race. Like they didn't chase people down for them which I thought was quite good to see like they weren't just letting it happen they were like yeah you're the strongest team so go on then like do your thing which was quite good rather than them just yeah working to then let SD Works win yeah finally in the what third or fourth last race of the season <laughs> they've thought that it's probably not wise to do everything for SD Works because they're just gonna roll you at the end and they still did to be fair that's true um yeah yeah but Misha Brederwald winning like quite interesting she's been up there now in a couple of sprints I've noticed (laughs) it's just like another very good SD Works rider to add to the extremely long list of good SD Works riders who can win races so 
can't wait for next year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they've they've really got the monopoly. Like as if we didn't know that already. Here comes another one. I mean, the writing was on the wall for her for a long time. Oh, is that that is is that a negative thing or is that a positive? Like, I don't know. Yes. I'm really, yeah. my brain's not working anymore. It's September. Um, but as in like she's kind of shown her potential. She won. Um, did she want to say just CMAC last year? Because I was trying to look as well the other day if it was her first world tour win. It's actually not. Um. Yes, first one day the final well, stage of CMAC last year. Yeah, her first one. I think that's probably her biggest. I mean, definitely her biggest. Like, I mean, the stage of CMAC versus Plue. Plue is a very. I was also looking at the past winners of Plue, and it's literally like Anna van der Bruggen, Marion Voss, Lizzie Dagnan, Anna Meek, like all the the top riders. So yeah, it's a bit of like a difficult one, isn't it? Because I don't really know. There's one argument like would she have been able to win if she wasn't on SD Works? But then the other argument is, okay, she's shown how good she is. Is she going to be able to, like, go for herself as much as she deserves being on SD Works because they have all those strong riders? Like, do you know what I mean? Should she... Is it a shame she's, like, on that team where her talent is kind of drowned out when you have, like, Kapeki, Vollering, Weebus, Rusa, so many... I do think that is a thing with SD Works, and I think... Like that's the perhaps the thing that they don't do particularly well, which is development. Like they're good at mopping up established, very strong like leaders, but they don't really. You don't really see many riders developing that well, like actually getting chances on SD Works, just because of how stacked the roster is. Like you look at like Anna Shackley and Neil Fisher Black like on any other team they could they're like leader potential or at least you know say if they were on Trek they'd be on the sort of Guy Raylini route you know like you get your own chances but we're not gonna like in a Tutenberg told us at the tour they're not gonna kill you and like yeah. yeah I don't know I just feel like riders young up and coming riders get a little bit like drowned out yeah, I think they have that kind of weird, like, non-official development team with Park Hotel, don't they? Where they bring up, like, loads of riders from Park Hotel Valkenberg. It's kind of become, like, an unofficial SD Works development team. So maybe they more see that as, like, the place for young riders. They very rarely sign anyone to share out of junior SD Works, like, which is one thing. Like, they, they don't generally tend to be the teams who are picking up like the best juniors I don't know it's like they almost give them a couple of years to see how well they do in the world tour first but yeah I'm not sure I think like one thing I did think about Plue was uh it's getting SD works are getting a little bit predictable like with the Rusa moves um I feel like at least the peloton is kind of learning now how to play SD works a bit better and that might be one thing next year. Like one way to beat them is is by kind of preempting what they're going to do because there's they kind of have a very similar like tactic every race, which is like either have one person wait in the bunch and then send basically Rooster to try and attack. Yeah, I think maybe that at the very least, like what might come of the dominance of SD Works this season is that other teams are forced to have a bit more tactical now about them going into races and because for a long time women's racing has kind of just been a bit of like a cream rises to the top like if you're strong then you're strong and you'll get results or you'll get you'll be at 
the pointy end of races, but there's a lot more tactics going on now. And SD Wicks have kind of cracked it, but other teams maybe we we could we've seen like all season have had like work to do, but hopefully over winter they go back to the drawing board and kind of maybe next season we'll see them be outsmarted more mm. by other teams. I don't know. And maybe that's wishful thinking. <laughs> yeah, I think like Canyon Shram are an example of a team who's like is trying quite hard to do like things differently to get the better of SD works. And now they have um Ricarda bound friend in the team with Cassie and Uodomo as well. That's working quite well as like a duo. And they kind of just need like a couple more bodies basically at the front of the race to like put a challenge to SU Works. I guess Movi like I thought at Plue Claire Steels was looking like really strong. And she's obviously on Movistar next year. So that's like another strong rider with like Yulianne Lipper and Flaughty Mackay. It's like a pretty good trio of uh punchy climber types. So I think there's potential, but yeah, like the other teams might just need another couple of years maybe to reach that SD Works point. Yeah, I guess that's the thing with having one team that's just got like all or a lot of the best riders like you can have the tactical knowledge but if they're just stronger at the end of the day like you can't really do much about it but yeah yeah, speaking of Movistar they've got to replace or they've got to try and sort of figure out where they sit in a post-Anamique peloton because we had C-Mac which was her last race yeah ever I like I think obviously like sad she's retiring and stuff but I thought at the start of this season like when she Annemiek van Vleuten wasn't going great and like the classics and stuff it was almost neg- like a, had a negative impact on Movistar I thought on how they raced because there was like Liana Lippert looked so good throughout the classics but there was always this weird thing of like Van Vleuten wasn't riding for her and she was supposed to be riding for Van Vleuten and I don't think uh, Lippert wanted to like obviously it's Van Vleuten like you don't really have any right to be like you ride for me when I'm like some so much of a younger rider but it kind of I almost feel like Lippert could have actually done more in the classics if Annemiek wasn't there because Annemiek wasn't really on the form to help her but she was also not free to fully do her own thing because she was kind of like oh what like what am I supposed to do because Annemiek's there and blah blah blah. so I feel like maybe that'll make things slightly clearer um for them next year I don't know. And also there'll yeah. be less as well because everyone's bloody watching Anamique all the time for like one of her attacks. And then that kind of reflects then down onto like the whole team of, as being always being watched. So it might be good for them in some ways. Yeah, I think we've seen a few like occasions where like riders like Lippert could have gone for themselves, but it's quite obvious they were sacrificing their chances for Anamique who wasn't able to finish it off. So yeah, be interesting. I don't know who would be like, I don't know if they'd have sort of like an outright leader. Would it be Lipper? I guess it would. Yeah, I think it would be. I can't really think of like anyone else who would, I guess they've got Alena Sierra as well, who hasn't raced in a little while, but she, when she's good, she's really good. Um. So yeah, but I don't know. It'd be interesting. I think like generally like, Annemiek Van Vleuten retiring will have an impact on the race and that she's the only one who she kind of comes from that era of like 
those long range range Anna van der Breggen style attacks where you you just go solo for like 60k and she's even at Simac she on that on the only hilly stage well probably hilly stage which was I think what stage that stage four um she attacked like 55k to go and like really early for like one of the favorites to attack so if she's not doing those ridiculously hard attacks that like uh destroy the whole bunch then I think maybe that'll be a positive thing to kind of make the racing a bit more dynamic yeah yeah because I think she kind of well I mean we've seen it more happen more around SD works this season but definitely in the past like just having Anamika at a race or like having a the front looking strong at a race has kind of neutralized everybody else because they're just like well what's the point mm. so I guess there'll be a little bit less of that um but yeah what did you think of CMAC in general as a race I liked it I bet you liked it loads of sprints <laughs> <laughs> I mean yeah it was different it was varied a bit more like I don't know yeah. like I was saying I wrote in the newsletter like I went into it like oh like this is gonna be so boring like loads of flat stages like just kind of because as much as I do enjoy watching sprints they only happen in the very end of the race and actually watching a sprint stage is quite boring like undeniably yeah no I mean it was interesting to see like Balsamo, Cool and Weavers all in the same race like the three kind of best sprinters to see how they all stacked up um and obviously like Weavers was yeah she only won one out of the three well yeah one out of the three proper kind of sprint stages I don't know the final stage was a bit more hilly but Jen, it was still, I guess, kind of a sprint. Um, yeah, she, I don't like, I mean, the only thing I did think about CMAC actually watching it is like, that race looked so like, horrible to ride. It was so like, the roads were so tight. And I remember when Van Newton said she was finishing her career with that race, she was like, actually, I really don't like that race as like a race. She was just doing it because it was her home near like her hometown and stuff. When I was watching, I was like, yeah, I can see why she doesn't like it. It looks incredibly sketchy. Um, but yeah, the sprints were good. Um, Balsamo beat Lorena Weebus on day one, kind of because Weebus was like obsessed about boxing in Charlotte Cool, and then Balsamo just went down the other side with um, who, who let oh Sanguinetti led her out, didn't she? And it was just like some sick lead out there. Yeah, I I enjoyed that because I think I'd in my head I'd written Balsamo off a little bit when it comes to sprinting against Weavers and Cool because she just didn't seem to be as fast as them um but like you say like sprinting isn't just about like pure power on a finishing straight like she also used her brain and got a win out of that and it I really enjoy seeing her win after the year she's had because there was that horrific crash at Ride London mm. um and then she came back for what race was it? I don't know. I just remember seeing she crashed again. I thought there's been so many races. I think it was Swiss. She crashed. Yeah. And like that's gotta like do your confidence in a bit. So seeing her like get back up in a bunch sprint was really nice. Yeah. I mean, especially when considering the lead out that Lorena Weavers had. She had like Demi Vollering and Lotta Kapeki leading her out. It's like some all-star ridiculous lead out and then you still beat them that's pretty impressive and also I kind of thought I kind of thought SD works were like I don't know they were getting a bit like 
ahead of themselves. They took it up really early and did some like big show off. Look, ours was so strong lead out, and then they actually went a bit too soon. Got so, big for the boots. Yeah, trying to be big men at the front, and then actually backfired a bit. I don't think I don't think Vollering was feeling great either throughout that race. She yeah, she was ill, right? And then she yeah. she dropped out. Yeah, because she did her on the first stage. She did like her put on the front, and I think it was a bit shorter than she was supposed to do. And she like gestured like I'm done, I'm done. And then Kapeki took it up a bit earlier than I think maybe she was going to originally. Um, but yeah, that was it was good that sprint. Um, and then stage three was the next sprint, and we just lost again, didn't she? To cool, so drama. Yeah. She, I mean, Cool looked so much faster in that stage, I thought. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. No, I think it's good to see, like, some actual competition. Mm. Like, Red is getting closer to Weavers. Yeah, agree. It was interesting because I think Cool and Balsamo looked probably like a little bit better in terms of, like, that top-end explosive speed, but then... On the Queen stage, on stage four with the Kalberg, Weebus was the only one who was still there at the end with Kapeki and finished second on that stage. So she was like quite clearly the best climber out of the three of them and like the most versatile. And we kind of talked about this earlier in the year, like has she lost a bit of that top end? Has she sacrificed some of that speed by becoming this like more of an all-rounder who can get up quite hard climbs? And I think we kind of saw that in this race. Like she didn't look quite as sharp, but then, yeah, she's got over the climbs with Kapeki and um, so that and Cassia. So, he's... I just I find that a, such a weird move to be honest. Like when you are like the dominant sprinter, and you obviously have like so much power and the ability to win bunch sprints like that. I know there aren't that many on the calendar, but. I don't really know why you would sacrifice that top end speed in the name of being able to climb a little bit better, when, especially when you're on a team, when you've already got a rider like Lotte Kopecky, who that's kind of her job, being the fast finisher that can climb. I don't know. Yeah, it's it's, it's interesting because then obviously like the last stage, when we finally did win a stage, that was because Charlotte Kula got dropped because ST Wells had made the stage really hard and Kapeki, but then I think Kapeki was second. So it's a bit like, yeah, like you say, if we was had been dropped as well, then she could have had two more stage wins earlier in the race had she kept the like top end she used to have. And Kapeki probably would have just won for the team. So <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. It's a bit, but I guess maybe, I mean, like a lot of riders' dreams are to win like Flanders and stuff. So if you want to do that, then I guess makes sense in a way yeah I guess so I guess if you want to go after classics but again like I feel like there's a lot of riders that are more suited to classics true and especially again especially on that team I don't know no I I get what you mean like the the natural like speed that you you need to be a bunch sprinter is like it's like a god-given thing you know like it's like you either have it or you don't it's a natural like talent so yeah, I know what you mean. Like if you've been give, if you have that like natural ability, um, it's kind of a, maybe a bit of a waste to like try and be like, oh, I want to do, want to be a bit of a climber as well and stuff. Like you could just focus what you're good at. Yeah, but yeah, 
I don't know. I guess we'll see. We'll see how she goes in the class six season next year. Yeah, be interesting. I mean, she went pretty well on it this year, didn't she, really? Yeah. Um, but again, they've got Kopecky, so it's like, I don't know. I know, it's just the thing with that team, isn't it? It's like so many cooks. I don't know. It'll be, it's a, yeah, I'm not sure how positive it is, really. For the no. But mm, what can you do? Yeah. Any other thoughts on CMAC? I've got one actually, which is that I remember watching the final stage and being like, I want to feel something about the fact that Animeek's finishing. And I did in terms of the fact that I knew it was Animeek's last stage, but the, the coverage, like, did you watch it on GCN? Uh, I don't think I saw her. I watched like the sprint. I don't know if I saw her coming in. But like the actual, so like I, I tuned in and, and it was like one, it was just Yose Bain commentating and like fair play to her. She was doing a good job still, but it was just her on her own kind of. And I find that, you know, you can't just have one commentator really. Like you do need someone to feed off. And then it's like, it made it like really anticlimactic to watch, I found. Not to just like call yeah. them out, but like, why was there just one commentator for a uh, moment yeah, like that? I, mean, I do, I do, I know there's been a lot of racing going on, but sometimes I do think like that women's with the commentary, um, women's racing doesn't always get like the best treatment in terms of like the number of people and like the, yeah, sometimes like the quality of it isn't quite as good as the men's or like I don't know just it doesn't seem to always get the same sort of commitment to having like really good commentary not that and not anything against you as it being like I really like commentary but just like you say it being one person it's really difficult to like get say anything like have that kind of dynamic that you get when it's a conversation between two people and like yeah I don't really know why it was her on her own but yeah it I think another thing which made it feel a bit just like nothing he was um the fact it was like it was it simac ladies tour is just not a big race like it's it wasn't like a big like i felt like it was more of a moment at the world championships when she was doing that lap around glasgow and there was so many fans there all like cheering her and that felt like you know oh this is like poignant like she's retiring at the, and like there's so many people cheering her whereas simac there wasn't even that many people out like watching it and it just it's not a big race it's like it did almost feel like she deserved some like a bit something a bit bigger to finish yeah. on like Lombardi Lombardia yeah. that would be yeah well that's what she wanted isn't it I mean she wanted to like go back to altitude and train super hard and then target like a big race to finish the season with but there just there just isn't one she begged the UCI apparently but no yep. no ball no dice but <sighs> Yeah, it is just like a, po- I mean, you wrote about this and I read it today um, and it's something we've been talking about and I've definitely harped on, on about so much, but there is just such a big problem with the calendar. Like, no offence to races like CMAC and Roman D and whatever, but like, it's such an anticlimactic way to end the season. Like, yeah, there's... I know. I mean, like, I'm obviously like big women cycling fan but even I was like I was I can't lie like I was probably more drawn to stories about the Vuelta 
then I and like that was really drowning out any like any attention that I had left for like sim of like Romandy or whatever races were going on at the same time and that was a bit it felt a bit shit like to feel like that but it just I don't know there just wasn't like much hype around any of this stuff and it was hard and it's a shame because like I think what's good about the men's calendar is you really follow that like narrative of the season don't you and it's like you know, you've got the Vuelta to come and then you'll have like Il Lombardia and it's a really good end. And there's, you know, you're, you're just, your interest is like held right to the end of the season. Whereas with the women's, it's like basically since the Worlds, you could have like, there was like all of the top riders could have been like, I'm ending my season at the Worlds because there's no really, not really any big goals left for me. They're all done. And that's a bit shit. Like you need something else for them to aim for, I think. Like obviously there are races, like we were talking about them now, but like they don't have that prestige that you get at like the tour or any of those big races. Yeah, exactly. I, I was trying to weigh up actually like whether it was just me personally being a little bit so I feel like you always get to the end of the season and you're a bit like, okay, I'm ready for like this season to be over now. I'm ready for a break from because it is just this like constant march of like races and like kind of yeah I feel like even as a fan people must have the same like feeling and I was like am I just over this season like am I just ready for this season to be done or is it just that this the end of the season is just lacking and it seems like other people agree that it is just kind of yeah you just we need something to look forward to that's like a big a bigger deal than yeah, again, no offense, but then CMAC or then Roman Day and like just more like you like you say, like the men's calendar is bookended by these big pre- prestigious one day races at the start and end of the season. And in between you've got these three grand tours that are spaced out in a logical way, not just like this unhinged, like welter then jira then two weeks later the tour like that's ridiculous yeah it's mad like there was way too much earlier in the year and then we saw like all that stuff about riders burning out and then now they've got nothing and like they need to kind of start like have their off seasons super early and they've got a really long winter and then the season starts again and then it's the same thing all over again um and the calendar for next year, like, it's, it's the same. Like, it's announced, so it's not going to be any different. But, yeah, they really... I don't know not why... I think the welter, like, why can't the welter move? What What's the reason? I don't understand. I don't know either. Like, um, especially, yeah, I don't know. And the Giro, the Giro is, for me, the one that should... Like, why yeah. don't... I don't know. Now that the Giro has been organised by RCS, you would imagine they would want to move it close to the men's race, but... Yeah, exactly. And, like, it's so it's so rubbish how it's on as, at the same time as the men's tour. Like, it, no one is going to really take any notice of it. Like, whether that's whatever your opinion is about that, that's just a fact. Like, the Tour de France is, like, the biggest race in the world. And, like, it works really well to have the women's race follow the men's in the, at the tour, I think, in terms of, like, fan engagement and stuff. So... I just don't know why they don't mirror that in like the other grand tours. It just it just kind of makes sense. But... Yeah. And like you say, like about the tour, like the biggest frustration for me with this, I think, is that the excitement for women's cycling and the women's season reaches a peak at the tour. And then the calendar the way the calendar is laid out and like how things are, there's no there's no capacity to like capitalize on that 
attention and that engagement and it kind of just peters out and I mean if I was someone that had just watched the Tour de France film and I was like oh let me like get into more women's racing and my options were the races that we've had I'd probably be a bit like oh okay yeah I feel like naturally you'd just be like oh like okay cool like the women's Tour de France is really good like maybe when maybe I watch the women's Vuelta as well when that's on and then you're like wait hang on there is not like at the same time it just would be it's just confusing and weird um but yeah when did the UCI do anything that like actually makes sense basically never so I don't know how (laughs) I don't know when they'll change it or if they'll change it but they should they really should because here we are Romandy finished last week yeah and unless you're a huge fan of Tor of Guangxi and Chongmin Island. Who's doing <laughs> uh, <laughs> Don't know. I don't I don't think there's a start list for it, but it's kind of, I feel like it's the kind of races where even the riders don't want to do it. Like it's the middle of October. Everybody's just ready for off season. And I feel like if you're getting sent to those races, you're like, for God's sake. Yeah. <laughs> I know. On the men's it- and the women's side. Actually. Yeah, yeah. and it's such a like it's it's such a sh- rubbish cycle because it's like that because nobody wants to do those races the best riders don't go so even if you go even if you make the trek there and you do well it's always like oh but you did well in those races because none of the like and there wasn't that many good riders there so those results are a bit irrelevant anyway it's just I feel like we might see it play a bit of a role in terms of the teams that are maybe trying to go for some last minute UCI points. Yeah. Because we do have the promotion relegation situation. But that's kind of done anyway. Like, I feel like the positions in that are pretty solid and they're not likely to change. Yeah. So. I don't really, I haven't, I don't know about that. I haven't but... I haven't kept up with it for ages, but last time I checked, because of, things like EF folding and like it was basically that every there's 15 the top 15 teams are kind of like set already as like who we expected it to be and then human pad health are the ones that are on the other side of it and I don't know I just feel like no one's actually massively lost out who we thought yeah you know so I guess with um Jayco merging as well live mm-hmm. that then frees up another spot so mm-hmm. an EF is going down because it's now well it's not existing it's a new team as, yeah so they've got to be Conti so they're going to be Conti so yeah I don't know yeah, um, I don't know but yeah, yeah the it's just a real meh end to the mm. season and I guess yeah we've got European Championships this weekend um but is yeah. that yeah I, I don't mean, know yeah I guess we didn't like there was some like quite there was some like decent racing at Romandy I thought in terms of like the stages and stuff they were quite good to watch some of them um like yeah Bollering was kind of like back winning but not as dominant as she was before like um Canyon Shram raced really well um Lippert 
won that final like sprint stage as well and she was it was quite good to see her I've never really seen her sprint that well on like a flat stage so I think there was like some takeaways from Romandy still um even though it wasn't like massively a big deal no it was actually a really good race I just wish it was a bit longer as well maybe like it it could be a really if they expanded on it and had like maybe some more variation it would be more exciting but no there was some really good racing and um oh um and yeah did you speaking of Demi kind of just coming in coming back to doing a usual did you see that apparently she was like oh yeah Marlon was supposed to win but just didn't happen or something well yeah because he rode away from her (laughs) there was a quote from her about like oh yeah the win was meant to be for Marlon Oh, super nice to just share it out between you. But Marlon didn't win because Demi dropped her on the climb. Yeah, I don't know. Like, maybe it was some, like, maybe she was, was telling her to go. Or is this... Because Marlon almost, because on stage two, uh, Demi just sat on Cassia's wheel the whole time. And Marlon was, like, coming back to them and almost caught them again by the finish. Mm-hmm. But, um, but not quite. And then... I think that's where Marlon like lost the race because Demi won the stage then because she didn't do any work because she refused to pull through with Ka- with Cassia because Marlon was behind. Ah, okay, the classic SD works move. I know. I was going to say that actually, like, um, a lot of people were commenting like, "Oh, like Demi Vollering, like professional wheel sucker, like never does any work, all of this." Like, and I was a bit like, mm, I get what you're saying but it's, it's probably a little bit unfair because she it's not really her like it's just it's not really her fault she basically always has teammates behind it and like it was the same at the Tour de France fam when she wouldn't work with Annemiek and it was like yeah because I've got Capecchi behind it's like it's quite a fair tactic I think she's just like that's why that's why it's a bit rubbish that SD Works is so strong because it um, actually leads to like her riding really defensively as well because it's always like better with numbers yeah, I mean, it, it's a fair tactic on paper. I guess it's just not, it's never a popular one, is it? To sort of sit on, so. Especially not when you've got like, riders like Lipper and Cassia really always lighting it up so much. And it's kind of like, it's a bit painful to watch them sometimes because it's like, they're the riders who are always doing good attacks and it barely like ever pays off for them, you know? Like SD works always kind of mug them off in the end. Eternal frustration of Kasia and how much work she does and how, oh, yeah. She had no choice, but, like, when she let out the sprint with Demi, I was like, oh, no. Oh, no. No, after she'd been on the front for the whole time as well. Yeah, bless her. But it'll pay off, I think, eventually one day. Especially now she's got, yeah, like, a bit of a stronger team around her. That's definitely helping her a lot. They just like, I don't know, Canyon Trail, it's, it's, they're a bit frustrating to watch because it's like they always do the right things. Like in like basically all of these races, they've been really active, like doing the right things, using their numbers, chasing breaks down, attacking at good times. And like they they like they have someone like Shabby who will like be great at making sure the group stays together and stuff. But then you don't have like a rider to finish it off ever. Like mm. any like... A, who or like a like a good all-rounder who will always just be the person sitting in and be like there for when it comes to reduce bunch sprint because it's like they don't really have a finisher apart from Cassia but she's quite like 
has to kind of be hilly for her to to do well in a sprint. Yeah, it's true. Well, maybe Zoe Baxter will fill that up. Yeah, true. Um, I guess when I guess like that's why they did pretty well when Diger was racing as well with them. Um, because she was kind of that rider, wasn't she? Who would sprint at the end after like a hard stage? Where's she gone actually? Not had a peep from her since Worlds. She's she just you never really know of her, do you? She's always like she'll do like a couple of races, disappear for like two years, and then come and win some races again. <laughs> She's an enigma. Yeah, she is. Um, one thing we haven't talked about with Romandy is stage one and the finish of was it stage one? Yes, stage yeah, one. The um celebration or the not celebration who knows that's the controversy i mean look she was celebrating she was <laughs> i'm sorry but she was it was so i felt i almost feel sorry for like oh, she was so close to winning and then she celebrated and like she had the like a really broad grin on her face punching the air and then, like, in the interview, she was like, oh, no, 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 that wasn't my celebration. I was just um, throwing my arms in the air out of frustration of being caught. But you're I just like, feel like you don't, you don't sit up. You don't take your hands I, off the bars. And, like, literally put both fists in the air. It's not giving frustration. It's giving happy. <laughs> I feel like she just should have owned it. Like, it's a rite of passage. I feel like a lot of people have done it. Literally, and like everyone's done it instead of doubling down she should have just been like yeah oops like literally fucking white van art's done it like mm. um, demi vollering did it didn't she once it was it was it brabant's pill she did it with ruth winder also never forget when she's celebrated at the tour when uh i think it was the, was it the stage that ricardo Baumfind won and she like crossed line oh and then yeah. celebrated and then she was like just in case i'd won for the photo oh, like, yeah i think about van bluten at the um olympics when mm-hmm. um, what's her name the woman who won oh my god i forgot her name anarchy's not oh yeah sorry <laughs> yeah when she won um van no it's happened to the best of them i won't say us but yeah I would have to walk you on the tourmalade. Sorry, I thought I was one. Me and my local crit. <laughs> but the thing for me as well was like, I didn't realise how close it was. And then you saw the 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 replay, like the slow-mo with the, sh- the side-on shot of how close it actually was. Like if she'd just thrown her bike or just not sat up, she would have won. Yeah, fully. It's painful. Okay. And she's like, she would it would have been like a very big win for her as well because nobody really uh like she's not that much like a well-known rider is she no um Misha Bredewald was third on that stage as well in a sprint she goes again she's going good, well good win for Sophia Bertizzola as well in UAE yeah she was saying like in her interview after she was saying like oh I had really rubbish um like classics block and it really affected me so I'm really glad to be going well like late in the season and stuff so that was good for her yeah you and you have had like a decent year to be fair yeah they have they have she hasn't signed for the next year actually sorry I'm just looking oh really not many only eight riders signed to UAE for next year well officially I'm sure 
have something up their sleeve surely I would imagine so good luck doing this calendar with eight riders (laughs) just keep taking the same riders to every race until they crack see how long it takes yeah Yeah. gosh you'll kill them you will defo speaking of all that I think we've covered most of the actual racing there's been some interesting transfers going on Mm. yeah there has um little cat ferguson little (laughs) 2006 born cat ferguson no when you said that i was like i'm sorry no that's not allowed if she's born in 2006 she's not an adult surely (laughs) she shouldn't be able to like i don't know like she should be still crawling no (laughs) literally that's what it's like what um what tilda said in the group i was like if she's born in 2006 i'm like she's 12 years old like (laughs) she must be do you know what i mean (laughs) oh no i like really kicked this guy out of my house for being born in 2003 i was like i can't speak to you right now so 2006 is like i can't comprehend no absolutely not but yeah mad like she's First year junior signed a world tour contract. Um, interesting because you know I think we've seen in the past like juniors you can definitely be like a big dog in the junior peloton in the races that are like eighty k or whatever, and then make that step up to world tour and find it really tricky. Um, so it's a bit of a risk I'd say from Movistar to like go off her one season of junior results and sign her up until but, 2027 um, as well yeah yeah but it may like it may it might be like the genius move and pay off but at the same time like it's definitely there definitely is a risk attached to doing that well we've seen it with a few like um Megan Jastrab is another one that signed into the world tour really young from her result at junior worlds and like she's she's obviously like still developing and she's got she's shown some like promise still like in world tour races but I don't know like I also don't know how I feel about first year juniors signing world tour contracts in terms of like their own what's the word not their own like just for them mentally and like kind of the pressure that comes with that and like I guess it's just another reason why there's there should be more under 23 racing because riders like that should be able to just kind of develop slowly and not just go straight from flipping junior races to Paris-Roubaix or whatever yeah yeah it's interesting like um just to, like go back to what you said about Megan Jastrab like she joined DSM which is a team which has like a track record of taking young riders and developing them like that's their way of doing it. They always have done it like that. Signed rider, super young. Like I think they signed Pfeiffer when she was still in school and um develops her like really slowly. Whereas Movistar, obviously, they're like a lot of a newer team. Maybe. Are they a newer team? I think so. Yeah, I think they are. And like they what like basically they haven't really got that same sort of track record of like developing riders. Um and what you're saying about like them getting like a contract so young. I watched, I don't know if you watched the um Tour Tour Lavenir men's documentary on GCN. It was called like Race to the Future or something. And mm-hmm. they were doing the 
um one of the coaches I think it was like John Herity who works for GV and he was talking about like the riders kind of having you know getting these world tour contracts and having so much like income at such a young age and like what it kind of does to them as people um and that was just it was an interesting like take from him on like yeah like how uh if it keep you know does it keep the riders grounded when they get like these massive contracts so young um it's like it's like you know like Josh Tarling is an example like he moved he left junior ranks and like moved straight to Andorra and like is obviously performing really well but like not every rider is going to be able to make that step up quite as easily although I don't think yeah we're not seeing like have you seen that um Netflix thing about the Johnny football guy I think we're going to see that in cycling anytime soon. Here's no, oh, maybe that was a really niche reference, but there's like a documentary about a guy, a American football player who was like incredible in college, and um, they're not meant to get paid when they're playing college football, but he like found ways around it because he was like such a big deal. He was like touted as this like incredible guy, and then he just like turned into a bit of a party animal and kind of threw his career away a bit so but I mean he was getting like truckloads of money which cycling doesn't really offer especially not to women so yeah I mean that's the other that's the other like angle for it is like it's actually really great to see that kind of now there's like so many teams like like Kat Ferguson probably was like courting a lot of these world tour teams I think she was on like various different world tour team bikes throughout the season and like you know, I think she probably had quite a lot of offers and I'm glad that, that that's now happening for women like it does on the men's side. And I think it's really positive that like we see a young rider be offered a long-term contract and stuff. And that's the thing that's all, that's good about this contract is it is quite long. So that makes you think Movistar are prepared to steadily develop her because otherwise they would have probably not given her such long contracts. But yeah, she also races cross. I was wondering if she's still going to race cyclocross. Probably not. Maybe. Why... Wouldn't you? I just, you know, like Movistar don't, you know, normally you need like a team that will support both programs and stuff, like track or whatever. That's why I thought she might go to like one of those teams, but maybe she won't. I don't know. Maybe she'll ride across to Movistar or she won't ride across anymore. I'm not sure. Yeah, I guess not. Yeah, I mean, I guess they were well, they're on Canyon and they've obviously got cross buyouts and then, but I guess yeah, the team support isn't there. Hmm. Interesting. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, not sure. It'd be great, to, good to like watch her develop though. Like, um, she is like looks like such a good rider. So, we'll I was see. thinking just now as well. Are we also seeing the you know kind of on the men's side where they have like this promising young rider and then a team will snap them up for however many years with like a buyout clause sort oh. of thing. So it's like, are we starting to see that? Like more maybe. money going around and that sort of thing. Cause they're like maybe buying her thinking like, well, yeah, she might might end up leaving at some point from but there's not really like bigger teams, that's the thing. It's not as if like Movistar are really small and they've just And that's what um happened with Lorena Webus and DSM though, isn't it? Like SD Works bought her out of her contract early that's from true. DSM. It wasn't that is true. Um Yeah. I don't know. We'll see. Elsewhere in transfer land um everyone's leaving Yumbo. yeah 
like five riders have left in this in like this transfer window already. Um, they have signed two riders, but don't really know much about either of them. They're both like very small, definitely developing riders. Um, I'm not sure. I know like the women's team has signed a couple of the like in the past has signed a couple of like the speed skaters because of that link with um the Jumbo Visma speed skating team but it's not really been clear the men's team announced the other week that they would be stopping that link with the speed skating team as Jumbo stepped down as like title sponsor and it's not really been made clear like what's going to happen to the women's team in all of this and you know are they going to share the same sponsor as the men's team when the new one comes on board um like is it all is it all following the same pattern like I haven't really seen anything about that no they just seem to be in a bit of like disarray like I don't know there's no I'm not looking at them thinking like yeah there's because also in the absence of Marina Voss which at the moment she is out although there's no suggestion that she won't be back next season after this iliac artery surgery but they do just put all their eggs in her basket and so outside of her there isn't really you don't look at the team and think oh yeah like there's definitely a leader here and then there's a team built around them it's a lot of young riders there's one two three four four 19 year olds a 20 year old 21 year old and then the next oldest rider is 24 so it's like I don't know just kind of a weird vibe (laughs) I just yeah I wonder if like obviously amazing to be on like a team with Marianne Voss but I wonder how uh like how much of a nice um sort of environment that makes it when Voss is like at a race because obviously you're always all in for Voss and I don't know like do you think that maybe that's the reason why we see a lot of riders leaving is because it's like too focused around Voss and it's like they're not thinking of like a wider strategy um I don't know because they have Anna Henderson who's obviously like so good um fourth like in the world's tt and then she was like second at euros today in the time trial which is pretty unreal um she like almost she's like yeah had such a good year and she's like yeah a mega talent but she never really has a team around her to support her and it's like i don't know i feel like maybe they need to be focused on people like her and being like all right this is the kind of future of our team obviously boss i don't know how many more years she's got in her but generally, like long term, like people like Henderson are the future of that team. So why are they not sort of trying to build teams around her and like thinking long term strategy, which is why I'm like, I don't know what the situation is with their sponsorship and stuff. I'm not, I'm, it's so weird because on the men's side, they're like this world beating super team that's like making headlines and like it's just everyone's talking about them. Whereas the women's, it's just, it's not, it's nowhere near on that level. No, it's weird. I don't. I wonder as well if it's maybe like a management thing too, because obviously Ezra Trump left, um, and I think maybe she was a big part in in kind of fostering the environment in the team, or I don't know, like you know, she was like a relatively recently retired pro, and I don't really know who else they've got, but. Yeah, it's, it's a weird one too because you look at the roster and you're like, it it looks like a development-focused team, but they don't really do much in the way of developing because none of the riders get chances to ride for themselves. Yeah, it seems like uh, like she's, like Ezra Trump has 
brought a cop like she's brought like Kim Kadzal over to EF with her. And um yeah, it does kind of seem like she's maybe a catalyst for like all of this change, her leaving. And I think it happens in a lot of teams, like if riders are particularly really like the DS or the team manager or whatever, and then that that person leaves, sometimes, you know, it mean it makes the team just not like a attractive place for the rider anymore. Yeah. Which is fair. I mean, if you like working with someone, then why wouldn't you follow yeah. them to where they go next? Yeah. Um, no, EF, I was just going to say, like, EF are, like, they're the team that seem to be, like, signing a lot of riders and obviously they're new, so they kind of would be. But a lot of, like, good riders who are, like, well-known, like Corinne Lebecki, um riders like that but yeah but they they seem to have a lot of good riders but maybe not like a clear um structure yet like they don't really have like Corinne Lebecki's really good but like she's probably not your pure sprinter then they also have got Lotta Hentala kind of the same bag like a, amazing could be like amazing lead up person but then probably not the finisher um from what I saw from her this season maybe she'll be like better next year but I don't know. They haven't really got like a G, uh, kind of big GC name either. So I'm just, I'm interested. Well, I guess they've got Veronica Ewers, but yeah, interested to just see like how they structure that team. Yeah. I mean, it's shaping up quite nicely, but like, yeah, I think they may be missing like leaders yeah. in terms of both GC and sprints, maybe. But they've still, I'm, I imagine there's perhaps still some riders that they have to announce. Um, so they've got 12 at the moment, which in women's cycling could be a full team, but for me, it's looking like there might be a few more riders to announce for them. Yeah. Just from what I can see. But it's interesting too, because they are snapping up these riders like um, Alison Jackson, Corinne Lebecki. They obviously need that weight behind them and they need the points and they need the clout because they're going to be a continental team so they need to get the invites yeah that's true actually they're not going to have like guaranteed invites to tour for example Roubaix I guess they'd get in because they have Alison Jackson but yeah like the Tour de France and stuff not necessarily like surely going to get in quite a lot of big races so yeah that's another challenge actually and also another risk for like the riders joining them um yeah which makes you think because like obviously when they do have names like that going there there must be like more security than it looks like at the moment because why as for example Veronica Ewers or Alison Jackson would you go to this team if there were there wasn't if you were potentially not going to be racing some of the biggest races on the calendar yeah, I think I think financially, like they must be pretty sound, especially with the now sharing like EF and um, the same sponsors as the men's team. Um, I I don't know. I feel like from the brands like that are involved in that team, like Rafa and stuff. Historically, they tend to try and do things like they they tend to only support projects that would be very like equal between the men and women. I don't think like that these are the sort of teams where the women would get like worse treatment or anything so I imagine they're getting like the same support pretty much as the men um which is probably which is pretty good I think yeah for sure yeah have I missed any important transfers that have happened in the last few weeks 
Well, you know, Mariah Kiz is going to Phoenix to Kooning. Did we know that? Yes. Oh, that's a new one since I actually think makes sense, I guess, to go for her to go there as like a bit of a like, you know, the more experienced rider. Yeah. Cool. Oh, it's a good signing. She's won talking of gravel. She's won two of the UCI Gravel World Series races in a row in Holland and Belgium. I did see that actually, yeah. Good on her. Yeah. I honestly Phoenix the Koenig team of the year for me. Oh, one honor. They've been so good. Um, that's who we didn't mention actually. Um, Schweinberger. She's been she was she was like ripping up all these late she obviously had that amazing ride at the world and then she was like doing like good rides, like attacking, always at the front, active and stuff in so many of these late season races. So yeah, and then what? she just came third, didn't she? Well, at uh, Europeans. Yeah, that's why I think. That's... Yeah, she did. So she's she's really one to watch. Marta Lack was the other one who we mentioned. Ah, uh, yeah. Chat, who's had a really good season, and it's a bit like wonder what she's going to do next because Sarah Tizzit isn't the biggest team or doesn't seem to be. So I wonder if she's got anything else lined up. Yeah, I mean. You'd expect World Tour teams to have interest in her after the season she's had. I mean, that ride at Roubaix alone. Um, But, yeah, we'll see, I suppose. Yeah, she's won, yeah, she won, like, she's won, like, quite a few races this year, so. Good season. Yeah, what was I going to say about, oh, yeah, Phoenix Oconic are just, yeah, I'm excited to see what they do next as in next year because they have been I think they've just they've really nailed the development side of things and it's quite they're the chickens are coming home to roost when it comes to that for them oh love that saying <laughs> is that again though I think that's a negative like I think you say that about when someone's like done something and then oh, the chickens are coming in I don't know what's going on my brain my brain is gone I thought you kind of nailed it. I thought it was like, you know, they're reaping the rewards. Like they're That's what it. I should have said. That's what I should have yeah. said. They're reaping no, the but rewards. That's you, yeah, like the chickens are roosting, like the chickens are laying their fucking eggs and they're getting them. <laughs> so, but, was anyway. Anyway. The chickens are hatching. No. <laughs> no. I feel like the, like the eggs are the reward. Okay. And they've like, got loads of eggs anyway and I can't wait to see what the eggs grow into next no, year I'm thinking more like the eggs that you eat not like mini not like chicks oh I, you're what you're, you I was like thinking like, eggs, the eggs, like easter the eggs. eggs represent like a no I was thinking like the eggs would represent like the UCI points like or like the wins you know the, the, the chickens have laid the eggs Anyway. I'm not following this metaphor the same as <laughs> like, anyway when people when people have chickens in their garden the reward of having them in their garden that's such a London thing <laughs> in their farm I don't fucking know um, when people have the chickens when they own the chickens the reward is the eggs the nice eggs that you eat that you fry that you scramble you know uh-huh. so in and this metaphor like, what are they what are the team doing they so they've got the eggs. They've come to roost. Like the chickens are the riders, and the riders are laying the eggs. The eggs are the reward. The eggs are the delicious reward for their amazing like chickens. And next year they might get to eat them. 
I, yeah but I feel like yeah okay yeah okay no sorry no I've, I've I was trying so hard to follow that anyway you enough I mean what's that you get what I mean or not yeah I do I feel like it's pretty much the same point that I was trying to make before yeah, but then we got onto this convoluted discussion about this <laughs> metaphor yeah uh, no I mean well they've all, also got like cross season to come because half of their riders are mega cyclocross stars as well so honestly phoenix to koenig smashing it all year round three six five um okay season's basically over yeah no i'm not that upset i'm kind of ready not gonna lie but will you be watching cross will you be following cross oh yeah i'm actually low-key really excited about cross hey i mean it's, it's a bit like it's kind of less commitment isn't it than watching road feel like it's just a bit shorter a bit more digestible more action-packed like, yeah I'm excited for cross Definitely. yeah I think I think I'm also just like ready for a change of scenery not mm. not not like literally and I'm not like super excited to see like a Belgian field but I mean I'm excited to see like a different type of racing yeah like slightly different field as well like different riders at the top be nice to see so much to look forward to and then obviously the china races are happening <laughs> as much as i'm trying to ignore <laughs> yeah i don't know i mean i don't even know who's doing them well they're also like they're almost a month after romandy finishes which is just like if you're a rider and you're just like ready to finish and you've still got to train until like your last world tour race was Romandy and then you're like or even before and then you're like okay well I've got to keep going now just for the sake of mm. two races in there's China there's no one on the start list apart from Jessica Allen from Jayco and Anushka Costa from Uno X I mean so, they drew the short straw I guess or like I don't know maybe Jess Allen's using it as a stepping stone to go back to Australia afterwards <laughs> yeah very true I mean, I don't know how, as you as you always tell me, don't trust the pro cycling stats. That so, is true. There's a lot of Conti teams doing it. There's only seven women's world tour teams in the races, according to this. No, well, this is the thing again. And then we're back to the discussion that we had, I think, earlier this year or whenever it was. I remember having this discussion before of like, when all the world tour teams are even turning up to a world tour race, it's like... There's some qualities there I've literally never even heard of, to be honest. Oh, there you go. Change of scenery. We were just talking about change of scenery. Maybe we'll see some new faces. Very true. Very true. But at that point, it's going to be mid-off season and I probably will be not in that zone. Anyway. Me neither. (laughs) Uh, Anything else to add? Anything to plug? We haven't done our... um, our Oh, gosh. Uh, yeah, Yeah. Okay, safe part of the season. Consider, yeah, because the season is basically over, and I doubt any of our highlights are really going to come from Guangxi and Chongmin Island. Um, what? Yeah, I thought we'd we'd sort of cover our favorite part of the season today. Just look back, reflect. Uh, so, Rachel, you go first because I need to think. <laughs> um, mine is <clears throat> sorry. I just have to clear my throat. Mine is Cassia Nuyadoma's attack, I think, uh, on the after the cold Aspen before the Tourmalay. 
um, in the Tour de France femme, like just stunning riding from her, you know, watching her descend, so skillful, like she just was like moving around the switchbacks. It was just like poetry, loved it. Um, and then, yeah, she was like really gutsy throughout the whole stage. She did get caught at the end. And then I just loved how at the finish, she was just like sitting there, like eating a Harry Bows, just like swearing her head off about how <laughs> it been. And I was like, you know what? You're actually very relatable. Give me some Harry Bows and I'll also swear. And then, yeah. And you can be besties. Yeah, I just thought, yeah, that's pretty. And also, like, I feel like, because I actually, I liked writing about that afterwards as well so it kind of is just a good place in my in my mind for sure I thought your highlight was Arnold oh yeah he was my uh personal highlight an actual highlight it was my highlight actually that was mine he stole it oh, right here we go don't start this to me again I never come on the podcast again <laughs> no please don't and who are you gonna talk to you're gonna have to do a Jose Bean and commentate <laughs> <laughs> um yeah my highlight we were talking about this off mic and it's actually really hard to pick a highlight that's not at the tour because the tour is such a highlight of the season it is literally like the peak of the season apart from the classics I guess also yeah was the highlight not standing in the freezing cold after Flanders waiting for Kasia outside the Canyon's Ram bus with me <laughs> yeah that was kind of rock bottom can't I that was like a reconsidering like life choices moment. yeah mm-hmm. yeah same um but yeah I guess mine I want I don't want mine to come from the tour as well but like I also want it to be Yara Castellan's win there because it was like because of how it came like the day after the near miss from Tilly van der Velde and uh the team were like so again it's just like these gutsy rides that you want to get behind because they're putting everything on the line and obviously that meant I got to speak to bestie Michelle again after so yeah no but maybe I also thought about and this is just says everything about me the um Strada Bianchi just because it was so mad yeah fully I think that was like I I was thinking about that one as well that was mental that race the horse yeah. the controversy at the end with the sprint yeah with the with the glucose monitor afterwards it just went All on it. the drama from that race yeah no I don't know it was like yeah that's a highlight in terms of like entertainment value for sure that was like mental race yeah more um, of that sort of thing next year please uh, if yeah if no one else can beat SD works can they just race each other <laughs> <laughs> Uh, they were the original Yumbo Visma oh, yeah. team. People love like the right like the rivalry stuff. It goes big on social media and stuff, doesn't it? The inter team rivalry. Like that was a massive deal. I remember when the SUX won and then now Yumbo Visma on the men's side has been all over everything. I think people just like to be outraged or have an opinion and state uh, said opinion. So Yeah, well, it's basically our job is having opinions on racing so I'm being outraged maybe we are outraged quite a lot actually not good for the blood pressure no not good if um someone touches your car (laughs) 
Oh, I'd block that from my memory, that whole... That was such... Debacle. That's my highlight of the season, actually. What was you my car? Saying you're going to scratch people's eyes out if they scratch your car, probably. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Oh no. And on that note... <laughs> yeah, let's just leave it there, shall we? On that note, I'm off to check my car for scratches, just in case. <laughs> yeah, just don't vent to me if there's any on there. I can't take it. <laughs> you actually traumatized. that. You're never getting in a car with me again, or at least not my own car. I think I'd have to be drunk or something if I get in again, just to calm me down. It's too stressful. <laughs> I thought you were drunk at the time. I wasn't. Started a vicious rumor about you. Yes, why are you saying that? <laughs> literally, I, like I'm an alcoholic. I literally didn't drink anything apart from like the last day, which we documented in the podcast as well. Yeah, we did actually. Like, do you remember that when we went for that dinner and the guy like offered us like every beverage under the sun that wasn't alcoholic because we must have looked like I don't know. That was like a win for me. Yeah, he thought we were like kids, didn't he? That was like getting ID'd. I loved it. We were like, yeah, we're gin and tonic, actually. <laughs> what are you going to do? You want to see our ID? <laughs> yeah. oh, wow. Right. Cool. Thanks for joining me again. No worries. On this, I feel like we weren't as chaotic today. We yeah, kind of thought it's going to... We kind of had some great takes, to be honest. Well, Amazing what happens when you actually plan a little bit. Yeah. I guess... Um, Next time we'll be talking about the China races. Can't wait for that. In the meantime, I'm going to hopefully bring some more style interview podcasts with some guests uh, like I did last winter. Look out for those in between now and I guess the start of next season. And also look out for Rachel popping up again because I will wrangle her into doing this. At least once more. She's looking at me like slightly concerned slash. No, I love it really. She does. She loves it. I can tell. Yeah. All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. If you made it this far, go and have a drink for yourself because you deserve it. <laughs> you need it. You know, you probably need it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Bye. Bye.